And uh, we're going to find ourselves in the uh, ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. Ninth chapter of the book of Revelation. Jumping around a little bit, but that's okay, I suppose. Jumping around. So let's get there. And we shall start. Well, we've said it every week. We'll say it again. <laughs> uh, repetition, 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 right? We're simply just following the divine outline that God has set forth for us in the first chapter. We are following along with what Jesus told John in his vision on the island of Patmos as he recorded these things and wrote them down around 96 A.D. That's important. I'd write that down. That date is under attack. Some people think this was written before 70 A.D. and all of what's in this book was completely fulfilled in 70 A.D. when the Romans came in and ransacked Jerusalem. And so, in essence, uh, this book is about the winding up of Jerusalem or the destroying of Jerusalem by um, the Romans. But that's not the majority view. And for a number of different reasons, uh, we believe it's 96 A.D., just like the majority of Bible commentators do believe. He's old man. He's the apostle of love. He's been changed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, folks. And what we were talking about on Sunday, if you're tracking with us on Sunday, is you can look for change in a program or a meeting or a meeting with a person, but nothing changes unless you give yourself over unto, unto the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where there's power. That's where you become a new creation, and that's where things are defeated, where you're victorious. So although we do, we're not dissuading somebody from going to a counselor or going to a meeting. No, that's not what we're saying. But when you do go those things, go to those places, you recognize wherever you go, it's the power of the blood that saves. Well, here, John, this one who's been transformed, just like all of the apostles, by the resurrection. How do we know? Well, they weren't at the cross. I mean, they deserted the Lord. But after they'd seen the resurrected Lord, they'd die for him. They all did die for him. John being the last one, of course, he didn't die the way they did. But he was, according to extra-biblical sources, Eusebius in particular, dipped in oil for uh, sharing his faith. So, I mean, he was uh, tortured as well. Well, anyway... We're following that divine outline, and the outline says, write the things which you've seen. That's chapter 1, the resurrected Lord, Jesus Christ. The things which are the church in chapters 2 and 3, and we went through that at length. There were churches, seven churches. They were real churches at the time. Uh, John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through the vision, wrote to them because there were things that they needed to correct or do different, but there also were things they were doing great. It's a word for us in our churches here today, but also personally. And then we also discussed, they also represent uh, the different periods of the church age, and we went through all of that. Uh, but then, John says, write the, or Jesus says to John, write the things which will take place after this. The Greek phrase is metatauta. I'm telling you this so you'll remember it. You're, you're going to be so tired of me saying it, you're going to be able to re recite it. But metatauta is the uh, phrase which takes place after this. And then you see that same phrase in chapter 4 of the book of Revelation, verse 1, after these things. After what things? After the church age. And what do we think uh, chapters 4 and 5 is, or are, excuse me? It's a picture of the church in heaven during the seven-year period of tribulation. 
Because the church has been raptured, according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because God did not appoint us unto wrath, but to salvation. We went through all of that. So this is a picture of the church in heaven. And what's great and fabulous is John comes up into the vision. And what his eyes go instantly to is the throne of God. God is on the throne. Here with pandemics, uh, with uh, uh, the split in our country, with the different thinking that people have about issues of the day and uh, uh, how we seemingly can't even get along with any of our neighbors or any, or, uh, and especially anybody on Facebook. <laughs> but, but, but God's in control. And this book tells us this. Well, after that, uh, uh, we begin to see, don't we, in chapter 5, as there's no one who can take the title deed to the earth and unroll it and unscroll it or unseal it. And we talked about if this was an ancient deed, because this thing that he, un, he unrolled or unsealed, this scroll, had writing on both sides. Remember that? That's fascinating because the, the vision was on one side. What was on the back side? Probably there's some evidence uh, earlier in the Bible that the requirements t- uh, to uh, buy back the earth, like a mortgage deed. I mean, you know, you have requirements in the mortgage deed. Sometimes they even stamp it, you know, pay $110,000 or whatever it is, your mortgage, and then the deed will revert back, whatever, right? Okay, so uh, he's the one that's worthy to unroll the scroll. And then we know that there's seven seals on the scroll. And the seventh seal, we went through the six seals, but the seventh seal, it's like the Russian doll thing, dunk, 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 right? It unleashes seven trumpets. And at the end of the seven trumpets, the judgments... Then we have uh, seven bowl judgments. And what is chapters 6 through 19 uh, telling us? It's God what, uh, pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world during the tribulation period while we're in heaven. He's also doing another thing. He's stirring the Jews unto salvation. He's dealing with the Jews. All you have to do is read uh, Romans 9, 10, and 11. It says that all the Jews uh, will be saved. That's not come to fruition yet, folks. I don't know if you know that. Why am I saying that? Because it's in the future for us. And so uh, that happens. Uh, What else happens during the tribulation period? Well, uh, I think some other things happen. I think other people get saved as well. In fact, there's 144,000, we're told, Jewish evangelists who are preaching in the world, and uh, uh, many get saved. And so some of you ask me this. uh, Will there be uh, people with regular bodies into the millennial period? Are you tracking with me? We've got rapture, seven-year period of tribulation. At the end of the seven-year period of tribulation, Jesus comes back to this earth with who? You, his saints, us, we, his saints, to rule and reign here on earth. He came the first time in grace and mercy. He comes the second time in judgment. And he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth for a thousand-year period. But listen, at the end of a thousand years, remember this? He lets Satan out of his prison where he's been chained up. Why would he do that? Because love is always a choice. It's one of the grand and glorious doctrines of the Bible. It shouldn't bother you. It should excite you. You don't force people to love you. If you force people to love you, it's not real love. When two people in a marriage love each other, listen, folks, I'm just saying, and they stick it out and they keep going. Listen, I know for me personally, it's always fantastic, but, but it's not always fantastic. Come on. Come on. But, but here, here's why I'm telling you that. It's such a grand and glorious doctrine. Because every single day, a married couple who stays together is saying, I still choose you. It doesn't always, it's not always, you know, first year, you know, newlywed status type stuff. 
And there's an element to love, a big element that's choosing. So God takes and lets Satan out of his pit, and he roams the earth looking for people, and people say, well, why is that? Well, it's because we, because we've already been in heaven, received our glorified, resurrected body. We come back to uh, rule and reign on earth with Christ. We're in our glorified, resurrected body, but there's tribulation saints that enter into the millennial. They don't have their glorified, resurrected body yet. You get it? And so they're still, whatever you want to call them, and God lets Satan out. There's this element of choosing always with the Lord. I can hear my Calvinist friends just shuddering right now. I understand. Do I believe we're predestined? And Yes, of course. The Bible tells us we are. Romans 8, 28. He says we're predestined. We pick the foundation of the world. Of course. Do I believe that uh, we uh, uh, respond to God's call? Of course. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Receiving the Lord is not a work. God provides, there's a provision for salvation for the whole world, not just the elect, the whole world, but only some receive. And so that's what we're dealing with here in in Revelation, there'll be that thousand-year period. Satan will be loosed. Uh, there'll be some other things happening. And then this earth will pass away, and then the new heavens and the new earth. Isn't that beautiful? Okay, so we're in the middle sea of the seals. Uh, not the seals, excuse me, the trumpets. Uh, and we've uh, uh, come, uh, you know, to this last part uh, of the trumpets. We got to the fourth trumpet last time in chapter 8. We're moving along here. We've already gone through all the seals. Do you know that? We've gone through all the seal judgments. Remember the first seal were the four horsemen? There was a conqueror, the Antichrist. There was conflict on earth where people would kill one another. There was inflation opened up by a seal and scarcity, uh, the black horse. And then there was a fourth seal open, that awful pale greenish looking horse in which, listen, listen, I'm taking you there for own purpose. One quarter of the earth, uh, of the people on earth are, are killed with a sword, according to the fourth seal. And then in the fifth seal, there's these cry of the martyrs, uh, the martyrs of, for, from all time, of course, but then also the tribulation martyrs. Then they take a little interlude and we, talk, we see the sealed, the 144,000 of Israel and the multitude, the great, uh, uh, the martyrs of the faith that are around the throne and they're praising the Lord and we've got a glimpse of heaven. And then we get to the seventh seal, that's chapter 8, last time we were together, and it opens up the trumpets and we see that the vegetation is struck and destroyed through blood and a third of the trees and green grass which attacks the oxygen supply. Remember, we were talking about that? Second trumpet happens. The seas are struck. A third of the living creatures in the sea die and a third of the ships are destroyed. Oh, devastation. Then uh, the third trumpet, waters are struck, the fresh waters. And the name of a a star that uh, we see falling is Wormwood, and the waters become Wormwood or bitter. We saw that. Fourth trumpet, the heavens are struck. And a third of the sun and a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. You know, the the light is attacked in a sense. And I heard an angel flying through the midst, verse 13 of chapter 8, saying with a loud voice, here's why I'm getting you to this part, woe. Whoa, whoa. In other words, three more are coming. And if you thought those were bad, these are worse. Why are they worse? Because the first four deal with kind of the earth and ecological things, although there are some devastation to people. But the last three trumpets speak of hell and hellishness and attacks against people. And that's what we're ready to dive into. And so let's pray. Why would we pray? Here's why we would pray. Certainly, here's what I'm thinking to pray. <laughs> I have a, a distinct paradigm in which I study this. It's a premillennial 
dispensational, futurist perspective. I recognize that there are good brothers and sisters that don't believe as I do. There's a tendency for the pastor, in my opinion, to be very pompous, very cocky, very overbearing about their view. And by the way, I believe my view, or this view, and not my view, this view, wholeheartedly, with all my heart. But I recognize that I don't want to be <laughs> come off to you as uh, that way. So, because uh, I recognize that there's other people in the church who don't think this way. So, let's pray and let's ask for humble hearts and a heart to receive. Lord, thank you for this evening. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that yes, you've been listening, Lord. Help us to be sensitive yet bold, loving but truthful. Lord, to state our opinions and to uh, listen to others and uh, still have our opinions, but uh, be able to listen and to love and to grow uh, as much as we can, Lord, um, without, uh, you know, uh, going against anything that's essential. Unity in these things uh, that are uh, non-essentials, Lord. Help us to walk those lines. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here it goes, the ninth chapter, the fifth angel. It says, the fifth angel sounded. What's that mean? It's a trumpet. Remember, it's a trumpet. Just think about what the trumpets meant. We talked about this, but think about what the trumpets meant to the Jews. Think about this. That represented something that was grand and glorious on a national scale. Remember in Numbers, when they would call the camp together, they would blow the trumpet, especially if they had important business to go over. So trumpets would happen. They wouldn't happen every day, but when when they did happen, they knew that something important was going on. They also knew within their history that trumpets represented God doing the impossible. And you see that in Joshua chapter 6. Uh, You all know it, the story of Gideon and uh, uh, his march around uh, Jericho. What's that? (laughs) Somebody's correcting me over here. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Stay humble, Lord. Stay humble, Lord. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Did I? What did I say? Oh, yeah, Joshua. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay, okay. She's right. I'm wrong. (laughs) She's giving me the clue, the the marriage clue. There we go. (laughs) Yes, Joshua. And anyway, so they march around Jericho, and what what does the Lord ask them to sound at the ultimate time to have the walls come down? And you know a lot more things happen, but what? The trumpets. And how did these things get passed on? How did these things get passed on in the uh, Jewish life? They got passed on through oral tradition, right? So this is things that you would sit around at night at dinner time. You'd tell your family. You'd tell your kids. You'd tell your grandkids. These are the things that you would grow up in. You would hear them and you'd know them. And when you'd hear a trumpet, it would do something to you. There would be something of great national importance. Of course, uh, Joshua and uh, the defeat at Jericho, right? That's a a beautiful thing. And then how about this one? This is the one that I just absolutely love. And I totally forgot that the trumpets were blown during this um, time until this week. See, I don't know if you know this, but I love the book of Leviticus. And there's this one uh, chapter of Leviticus that talks about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. What was the year of Jubilee? So beautiful. In Israel, because they didn't want things to get too far out of hand back then, at the end of 49 years, if I sold a property to Mike, and Mike had been living there and he'd pay, at the end of uh, 49 years, in the 50th year, guess what? That property would come back to me. Uh, if, you were a, uh, if you were indebted or an indentured slave to somebody and you served them in the 50th year, guess what would happen for you? You'd get your freedom. If you owed a debt to somebody and you'd been paying it faithfully and all those sort of things, at the end of 50 years, your, your, your debt's canceled. How, who would like that? Right. It, in other words, it was a time of great freedom. And... We, you ever felt when, when a big debt goes away, how, how free you feel? You know what I'm talking about? If I came over and you had a $200,000 mortgage and I paid your mortgage for it, think about that. 
Oh, my, you'd just be so free and light and happy. But ha- during the year of Jubilee, guess what would blow? Leviticus 25 tells us, the trumpets. The trumpets. So what I'm just trying to say is, is that to the Jewish mind and heart, things of great importance, things of uh, great seriousness, things, uh, 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 you know, of the Lord happened through trumpets. Here, a little bit different. What's serious and right? God's, God's program, God's judgment. What, what's God doing when he judges? He's vindicating his holiness and righteousness. You understand that? In fact, the martyrs, do you remember this? The martyrs had prayed earlier on in the book of Revelation. Oh, Lord, when is it that you're going to bring the people who killed us to justice? I'm I'm paraphrasing, but that's what they were saying. Do you remember this? And then we saw last week where the Lord took the golden censer back by the prayer altar. Remember? But what did you have to do? You had to get some coals from the sacrifice altar, the brazen altar. And he took that censer and he went... And he threw it at the earth. In other words, what the Lord was saying is, now's the time that I'm vindicating you and my holiness. Get it? And so the trumpets blow at this time. The angel sounds, the fifth angel. And I saw a star fallen from heaven, a star fallen from heaven. So it's going to be our job to find out who that or what that star is from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace so the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power they were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree but only those men who do not have the seal of god on their foreheads And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. Though they will desire to die and death will flee for them. So let's do this. Let's just handle verses 1 through 6 to begin. What's, What's going on here? And I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. Well, you folks know, don't you? In Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, and Revelation 12. If you read those, it seems to be uh, this, that Jesus, or excuse me, that, the, uh, that, that there was an angel, Lucifer. There was an angel, Lucifer, and one of the things that he wanted to do was he wanted to set himself up And to be a great and wonderful worshiper, he was that. But he wanted to be like God. He wanted to be like God. And it appears, doesn't it, that from those uh, chapters, you can discern that Satan and one-third, or Lucifer and one-third of the angels were banished from heaven. Were banished from heaven. And look what Jude 6 tells us. Jude chapter, well, Jude verse 6, because there's one chapter. What does Jude 6 tell us? And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, uh, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Where's Jude, by the way? It's right before Revelation. So why did I just run through all those? It seems to be that God created uh, Satan and established him as some sort of anointed one or a a worship leader or some kind of uh, helpful angel uh, in his kingdom. And he was uh, doing pretty well, and then he sinned. He rebelled. He set himself up uh, like God. And Isaiah especially in chapter 14, verses 12 through 15, describes these angels being banished from heaven, being banished from heaven. And then later on in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, especially verse 4, John refers to angels who sided with Satan and fell with him. So there you see it. In all those different places, you kind of piece together, you do piece together 
that it seems like at some time Satan sets himself up against God and because of his pride and wanting to be as if he was God, he and a third of the angels are uh, uh, banished from heaven. And Jude 6 says they're left their own abode and he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgments of the great day. Now, this king, this fallen, or excuse me, this person, this fallen star, he seems to be, look down in verse 11 of chapter 9, look down in verse 11 of chapter 9, he seems to be the king over all of the angels in the pit or in this bottomless pit. Whoever the star that has fallen seems to be this king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew Isn't that funny how the the writer says this, John? Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollon. How do you say it? Apollon, Apollon. And that means destruction or, uh, uh, yeah, destruction or destroyer. And what is one of the great ministries of Satan? He's a liar, a murderer, a destroyer, a deceiver. He destroys. See, Sin's fun, quote-unquote, for a season. But it's always going to lead you down to a dark, deadly place. Every single time. And here, it seems, this star is not a star. Why can you count on it not being symbolic? Because read the next sentence after the... In the first verse, I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. How do you know it's not symbolic? Or excuse me, how do you know it's not a star and it is symbolic? Sorry, because it says to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. Whoever that star is, is a person. You get it? And later on in chapter 11, we're basically told who this person is. The destroyer, the deceiver. The one who uh, can go to the bottomless pit, but needs permission. He needs a key. You see that? And so he, this this fallen star is probably Satan. And who are these one-third of these angels? Well, you could look in Ephesians 6, remember that? Uh, The the writer of Ephesians uh, details kind of the principalities and powers of darkness and all that sort of thing. And it kind of gives you kind of an order of of who uh, follows uh, Satan, who is with Satan, right? Is these... uh, Uh, evil angels. And it appears that they've been locked away in some sort of bottomless pit. Bottomless pit. In fact, that's an interesting ringtone. (laughs) I had to pay too, so don't worry. (laughs) I called Beck the other day (laughs) from up here. But anyway, the bottomless pit, you can see it in uh, chapter 9 three times. You're going to see it in chapter 11 referred to, chapter 17, and chapter uh, 20, verses 1 through 3. What is, what is the bottomless pit? Well, in Luke 8, we find out it's the abode of the demons. In Revelation 20, we're going to see that Satan is jailed there during the millennial reign. It's not his final resting home or place. Where's his final resting place? The lake of fire, hell. But it seems to be that. And also uh, the Antichrist descends out of here in Revelation chapter 11, out of this bottomless pit. Um, uh, By the way, Luke 8.31 tells us that even the demons, even the ones who are in this bottomless pit, dread it there. Don't get the idea that, oh, they're evil, so they're going to be enjoying being in the evil place. No, this is a place of torment and uh, uh, just sheer hell. They'll hate it, the Bible tells us. They hate the bottomless pit. What is this bottomless pit? Well, uh, some people believe this is just a special compartment, so to speak, of the place of the dead. You know this, right? Go, Go and make sure you know Luke chapter 16. Make sure you know Luke chapter 16, uh, where we see, you know, the rich man who uh, can't get out of that, uh, uh, that place of the dead, but he can see up to the, the place where is, you know, the, the paradise. And he just, man, if you just dip your finger in some water, right, you remember all that. And so many people believe this is just a, this bottomless pit is, is a uh, place that's inside or attached to 
the place of the dead. Whatever, here's what you'd want to know. This place is evil and dark and awful and vile. And even the demons don't want to be there. And they're in this bottomless pit. But he was given a key to the bottomless pit, which means even the leader of this evil uh, band of angels needs the permissive will or the will of God, needs God's permission to do something. And here he gets the key and he opened this bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit uh, like the smoke of a great furnace. And that would remind people of Genesis 19 after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. It was just smoking. Isn't that interesting? By the way, when God gave the law... Do you remember this? There was a lot of smoke. Uh, you could find that in the book of Exodus. I think that's also in, Ex- in Exodus 19. So what do you, why, why do you put those two together? Well, God's judgment was executed on Sodom and Gomorrah. God is giving the holy law. God vindicates his holiness and righteousness. When people break the law, there's consequences. There must be a penalty paid. He's perfectly just and perfectly righteous. And here the smoke reminds us of this. Uh, God, listen to this, is using these ones for the purposes of his judgment. Mind blown. And here you see that the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. And then out of the smoke, locusts come. Locusts come upon the earth. And to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. Do me a favor and turn back to 1 Kings 12, 11. Do me a favor. Oh, 1 Kings. Aren't we? You remember when we were doing that? It's so great. No one said, yeah, okay. 1 Kings 12, 11. <laughs> That was a long time through the book of Kings. I know that. Uh, I'm kidding. But uh, 1 Kings 12, 11. This is fascinating. There was this revolt against Rehoboam. Jeroboam revolts against Rehoboam. And this starts the split of the kingdom. And then there's, then there's this very interesting verse in verse 11. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'm going, or I will chastise you with scourges. And the word there is scorpion in the Hebrew. They think that there was a particular type of whip, scourge, that they could use that was diabolical. That something attached to it uh, would really rip and shred the skin. In other words, it represented massive, awful, uh, unsolicited, that's the word I'm looking for, cruelty. Now go back to Revelation. There were these locusts that came upon the earth. Now what, folks, locusts, what what, what one book in the Bible, boy, if you get this, you really know your Bible, does this conjure up, does this elicit in your mind? Well, it's a mind... Wow, look at this guy. He knows what he's talking about back there. Of course, Joel. Joel is a minor prophet. In fact, turn there with me. And you know what's funny as we do this? Here's what's going through some of your mind. Where in the world's Joel? Where in the world's Joel? Look, just look it up in the back, in the front of the book, and nobody will care. And nobody will care. It's a minor prophet. It kind of just is right at the beginning of the minor prophets. And it's right after Hosea, and it's right before Amos. And that should help you. It's on page... No, I'm kidding. It's a a writing uh, that is uh, prophesying about the coming day of the Lord using modern day, uh, to the the time of the writer, using modern day uh, lessons. And one of the lessons was, even though, you know, Israel was in a mess, and... They get, they get a locust swarm. Look at this. 
verse one or chapter one, verse two. Hear this, elders, give ears your inhabitants. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your tell your children. Let your children tell theirs and their children another generation. Generation, what the chewing locust left, the swarming, swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. What the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awaken, you drunkards, and weep. You see, God is taking a real-life event or orchestrating a real-life event, the locusts that are devastating the land, and he's teaching them a spiritual lesson. And the spiritual lesson is, is that I'm going to, God says, he's going to bring against them a devouring army. And for, um, uh, you know this, uh, for uh, uh, the, the uh, people of Judah, the southern kingdom, that army would be Babylon. Of course, um, Assyria uh, took out the northern kingdom. But for the southern kingdom, that would be Babylon. And then in chapter 2, you're not going to believe it. The day of the Lord. He now is the day of the Lord. There is the day of the Lord in Joel's time, yes. But there's the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord called the tribulation period or a time of Jacob's trouble or the 70th week of Daniel. And check out verse 1. I've been blabbing on for on and on here for all this time and I'm trying to get you to a point and look at this in verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. The trumpets in Zion sound an alarm in my holy mountain. And you could go on and you could read about how these uh, people are going to come great and strong, verse 2. Nothing shall escape them, verse 3. Their appearance like the appearance of horses and swift steeds, so they run. Just the locusts, yes, but also there's a people coming. They run like mighty men, verse 7. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They don't break ranks. The earth, verse 10, quakes before. I mean, these are strong. But look, the Lord inserts in there, catch it, folks, catch it, a call to repentance. Verses 12, therefore the Lord says, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping. Rend your heart, not your garments. Return to the Lord. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger, great kindness. Oh, the American church, we love this. And the land will be refreshed. Again, in 15, he says, blow the trumpets. Let the bridegroom grow out from his chamber. Let the priests, it says there in 15, uh, 16, uh, who minister to the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, praying that uh, they, they would be uh, uh, spared. But the locusts did eat, and Babylon did take away. But then there's a verse in verse 25. Listen, I know some of you are checked out right now. You're like, why is this, this guy's going in circles, man? But there's a verse in 25 you should really learn and grow in and memorize. And so should I. And it's this. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, and the chewing locust. My my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never be put to shame. And you know the famous verses in 28, 29, and 30 where it says, And it shall come to pass afterwards that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh, sons, daughters, old men shall dream dreams, young men shall see visions, etc. And I'm going to show wonders in the heavens, sun turned to darkness, moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Listen, Joel all that time ago is talking about what we're talking about and what's on the coming horizon. But there's this one great principle stuck in the middle of all this. And I'm kind of giving the store away right now, but that's okay. And here's the principle. Okay, listen. If you're outside the kingdom of God, if you'll turn now, no matter how old you are. I hear people all the time say, I wasted my life. And I always think to myself, you don't know Joel 2.25. 
Whatever happened in your life, don't, don't fret away your life. The Lord can and will multiply what you're doing now. Whether it's small or big, he'll multiply it. He'll, he'll, he'll make up those years for whatever the way, in the way that he wants to make them up. He'll make them up with your prodigals, folks. So keep praying for them. Isn't that a beautiful verse? Okay, I got off on that. But, but see, here's why I want you to know it. It's because locusts are always a symbol in the Jewish mind or a symbol in the Bible of judgment. And here, listen, under God's permission, out of the pit, the hellish, most hellish place, all these evil principalities, and they come like locusts, and their intent is to be cruel for cruelty's sake. And God's going to use them to pour out his judgment on Christ-rejecting world. And it's going to be awful as these locusts come out. They, they, they have these, uh, the power was given to them as the scorpions of the earth. You understand, again, does that mean they're going to be biting and stuff like that? I don't think so. I think it's going to be, there's going to be a cruelty against people. And they were commanded not to harm the grass or any green thing. That's weird because in Joel it says they chewed it all up. But these are saying no. So we see again, the Lord is in charge. They were commanded not to harm, but uh, only those men who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We know that through the 144,000. Also, I think, tribulation saints here saved They're not going to be impacted because I think they're going to be sealed. We're going to end with that. But here it says uh, uh, they don't have the seal. If they don't have the seal, then they're subject to this torment here on the earth. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. That's fascinating because uh, locusts can live for five months, it said. Isn't that interesting? But anyway, for five months, and then their torment was like the torment of a scorpion and when it strikes a man. And in those days, uh, men will seek death and won't find it. They're going to want to die than to be tormented by these hellish figures. That's what's going to be happening on the earth while we're in heaven. What else is happening? The shape of the locust was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns or uh, something like gold. There was some sort of like uh, authority and permanence to them. There was some authority here. Uh, On their heads were crowns and their faces were like the faces of men. They had intelligence. There's intelligence. Remember, uh, the enemies of our soul, they don't dress up like Linda Blair. They disguise themselves as angels of light. And somehow, some way, they're going to uh, have uh, uh, this permanence and be, uh, uh, you know, intelligence and they're going to have hair like women's hair. Some commentators believe that there's going to be a world full, full of seduction, not that women are... Sub- you know what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be sexist. But that's what they say, that there's going to be this interplay between people and that, that there's going to be a luring thing and the teeth were like lion's teeth and people are going to be out to, to uh, 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 prey on other people, you see. There's going to be this spirit of just preying on people. That's what they're going to be like. And they had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. You couldn't hurt them. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots uh, with many horses. Man, you could see locusts have been agents of God's judgment in several places, not just Joel. You could look at all throughout the Bible, and here they're, they're running into battle, and they had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men for five months. And they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. Now, the reason I don't think, one of the reasons more than this, but you know this, Proverbs says locusts don't have a king. Proverbs actually says that. There's a, there's a proverb that says locusts, like this insects, don't have a king. This, these locusts do have a king. Why am I telling you that? Because people want to know, are these real locusts that are going to come and be uh, demonic? Or are these, going to, are these representative of something? And there's people over here that believe they're real locusts. And there are people over here uh, that believe they're people. But that John's just describing people who are empowered by the, uh, the enemy of our souls 
And I'm just telling you that in Proverbs, it says real locusts don't have a king. But these locusts do have a king, and his name was Destroyer, and he wants all the world to know it, Greek and Hebrew. Remember what's going to happen at the halfway point of the tribulation period we know from Daniel, that the Antichrist, empowered by the enemy, is going to start out in peace, but in the middle of the uh, seven years, three and a half years, he's going to set himself up in the temple and ask you and I or we, we won't be here, but the people to worship him. He just screams out, Hebrew, Greek, doesn't matter. I'm the destroyer, and you're going to worship me. Well, this is the one who leads them, and uh, one woe is past. Are you kidding me? One woe? We got two more of these? That's what the writer's saying. One woe is past. Behold, still two more are coming after these things. Well, what's the other one? Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar. What's the golden altar? We went through this last time. That's the altar of incense inside the holy place, not the holy of holies, two rooms in the tabernacle, two rooms in the temple, same thing. And the first room, there was an altar of incense. That's this golden censer or this golden altar, excuse me, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel, uh, this voice, the lamb, this voice, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates, that are bound at the great river Euphrates. Here comes uh, some new angels or some different angels. The great river Euphrates, what's that all about? Well, they're connected with uh, uh, Euphrates because Euphrates, you want to write this in your Bible, it's a landmark of the ancient land of Babylon. Babylon. And Babylon uh, was uh, uh, fully promised by God uh, to Israel, Genesis 15, 17 through 21. But it was the boundary of the old Roman Empire, which is going to be revived under the Antichrist. Anyway, uh, Euphrates is associated with what? The first sin. Murder. Revolt against God. And a lot of other rebellious things. Right? That's Babylon. Well, these angels are released there. Well, are they good or bad angels? Well, good angels aren't tied up, folks. (laughs) Good angels aren't tied up or bound. So they release these four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. This is mind-blowing stuff, folks. These are evil angels who God utilizes for judgment. That's what these are. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of the mankind. So after this uh, trumpet, I keep saying seal, sorry. After this trumpet, folks, half of the earth's population is dead. We read it before and we read this other one. Half, Half of the earth's population now is dead. So the four angels were prepared, were released to kill a third of the mankind or of mankind. Now, the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which came out of their mouths. For power, their power is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. They're released, and the number there's an army that comes. Two hundred million. There's a two hundred million person army. Is that a real army of two hundred million, or just a lot of people? Well, the commentators are split right down the middle. Does this represent a real two hundred million? Well, you know this, right? In World War II, the armies assembled in the war, all the armies who fought in World War II, somewhere between 50 and 70 million men, soldiers. China, 
you know, has announced in the past that they have 200 million people ready to march in, a, you know, in the militias and all that. 200 million people could march within one month. I'm not saying it's China or whatever. I'm just telling you uh, uh, there is capability, they say. Some uh, intelligence agents, by the way, uh, highly doubt that. But, but still, they've uh, obviously got a lot of people uh, uh, over there and have claimed that they have 200 million. What is it? Is it 200 million or is it a lot of people? And I would say yes. And I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses and the vision and those who sat on them. And most people believe what he's describing right here are not actually, um, you know, horses or anything like that uh, because this is just too out there for John. He can't see all the way into the future to describe modern warfare and weaponry. And so what he's describing here, most people believe, or many people believe, is he's describing modern weaponry. I saw the horses in the vision, and those who sat on them have breastplates, some sort of tank-like thing, of fiery red and blue and yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. I mean, right? You ever see, right, one of those tanks coming at you? Man, those World War II movies now, when those tanks start coming and they put the, the turret on you and the gun, ooh, wow, and that head that points towards you, Right? And so uh, many people, believe, again, believe that's what John's describing. They're like the heads, and out of their mouths come fire. What comes out of a tank or a tank-like thing or a drone or whatever, smoke and brimstone. And by these three plagues, then a third of mankind killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone. And their power is both in their mouth and in their tails. Why? Why? Well, modern rep- weaponry. You don't just shoot one way. You can shoot all ways. And that's what some people believe. For their tails are like servants having heads, and with them they do harm. But here, here you go now. Here you go. And we talked about this last week, but we'll talk about it again. But can you believe that 20 in the, to the end of the chapter is in here? When I read this, you know what I start to say to myself? I <laughs> just got to tell you the truth. How stupid could you be? Here are all these evangelical Christians that have told you for all these years that there's going to be a rapture. Now, you've got all these people that have gone out of here, and now you've seen devastation like you've never seen before. And you scoffed and laughed, and people uh, talked to you about it, but you didn't want to hear. And you even had people say, well, I'll leave the tapes for you. Listen after I'm gone and, uh, and, and, and spell it out for people. And through all that, it says that the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues didn't repent of the works of their hands. Don't you start to say to yourself, how stupid could you be? How, how naive? How, what's wrong with you? That's my fleshly nature coming to the surface. Maybe I'm the only one. But then I start to think to myself, oh my, I'm just like they are. I'm just like they are. Thank the Lord that the Lord's called me and I've responded to his call. But within the life of the Christian, he's calling us to live a life of repentance, of the works of our hands. And I have to say, there are people in the church all day, every day. They think they're okay. They think they're right. They think the grace of God. Yes, the grace of God is good. But you know what? I always hold on to how Martin Lloyd-Jones says Romans should be preached. All the legalists should feel terribly uncomfortable because they ain't very graceful. But all the lovey-dovey, tolerant people over on this side ought to be really uncomfortable because the grace of God never just lets you stay where you are. And I think we got a bunch of Christians in the American church who are over here, and they're afraid to say anything about anything and they're afraid to talk about sin and they want numbers in the door and they want the money in the box and they want the salaries to be paid. So to, to upset the apple cart would be really a bad thing. So I'll just talk about love and mercy and grace all the time. And love and mercy and grace are wonderful. And yet the Bible says, just read the book of Titus. If you think grace is wimpy, read the book of Titus. It says it'll be a teacher that'll bring you out of this 
to a life of holiness. That's what grace does. It doesn't leave you over here to be wimpy. Sorry if you're in that camp. But boy, if you're over here, this is ugly and gross. It's brutal. You just want to give people truth and there's no love. And really, the thing that you're hiding is uh, that you're calling out in sin is probably the greatest sin that you're doing. So you spout off about it and tell other people about their sin so that people won't really see what's going on inside of you. When there's something right here in the middle that God is working towards, this grace of God, that we should be a people who would... Listen, God's calling us to holiness, holiness, and this ain't holy. Jesus railed against it, but this ain't holy. But the rest of mankind, they didn't repent of the works of their hands, that they shouldn't worship demons and idols of gold. And I want you to see how closely he associates, look at this, our idols in our life with demon worship. I didn't say it. He said it. And, and what are worship, or excuse me, idols? They're anything where your affections are set up, or anything that your affections are set upon that mean more to you than the Lord does. That can be a, 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 a relationship or a, a child or a parent or a friend or a re- whatever. You, you get it. That they shouldn't, they won't repent from worshiping demons. Remember, Satan wants to be worshipped. That was what he was. He's trained in it. So now that he's fallen, he's saying, I'm going to get you to worship me, and I'll do it really subtly. I'll be light and beautiful, and and I want you to come and uh, worship at my altar of all the things that are carnal and fleshly and evil. I want you to do this. I'll, I'll make it attractive so you'll come to me. I'll make it comfortable so you'll come to me. He wanted to be worshipped, and so he worshipped demons and idols of gold. Well, you say, I don't have idols of gold. Well, go look in your garages. We worship cars. We worship jewelry and all, all kinds of things, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. In other words, they're useless. And they didn't repent, how about this one, of their murders, their hatreds. You get that? Not murder with, you know, you know in the shower. Psycho. Yeah, it means that, but it also means when you hate somebody, you're murdering, folks. And you won't repent of it, and I won't repent of it. And we call it, oh, he's just being mean to me, so I'll... That's not the Christian way. That's not the life of Christ inside of us. And they didn't repent of their murders or their hatreds or their sorceries. Folks, this is the word pharmakia. Drugs. Messing around with drugs. This is what's going to mark the end times, that we would worship demons. Well, you know, we don't have to necessarily, you know, be of the church of Anton LaVey, but we, we do these things that are subtle and shiny and we worship them and, and there's idols and then uh, we won't uh, uh, stop hating people or holding grudges. If you're holding a grudge, you should get it right this week. And they didn't repent of these and they wouldn't repent of their sorceries. Well, you know, I need a little of this and a little of that to get to sleep or whatever and it makes me relaxed and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, Right. Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be being filled. Don't be under the control of anything else, however you want to interpret that. Don't be under the control of anything else but the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. It says it. It's a sin to be. No sorceries or no sexual immorality. Oh, my. We have a show that, to a service you all subscribe to that's showing little girls naked and no one cares. The people at the company are saying, well, that's how we intended it and it's artistic and all this sort of thing. And it's, it's pedophilia 
and we, as, as people here, we, we subscribe to this service. And then we go out and say, you know, let's fight sex trafficking. Well, I mean, it's our culture. It's sexual immorality or their thefts. Or their thefts. We talked about this last week. It's so strange how we could forget and go back into our crusty, unrepentant hearts. If you're a non-Christian, it's just like, Lord, let's just pray that many would come, that the Spirit of God, like in Joel, would be poured out in these last days so that our friends, our families, our enemies, they wouldn't find themselves in that tribulation period. When you get up tomorrow morning, as you commune with the Lord, ask the Lord to give you a heart for people who are lost. To be able to share the gospel. Why? 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 Why would you do it? Here's why. And we'll close. Turn with Ephesians to Ephesians 1. Most of you in here, I know have surrendered your life to Christ. I don't know everybody, but most of you claim that and, and, and claim the name of Christ. But maybe there's somebody who isn't. Listen to this. Go to uh, verse 13 of chapter 1. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth. People, hopefully you're hearing the word of truth now. If you're listening, you're hearing the word of truth. The word of truth is that you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. That Jesus Christ demonstrated his love towards us, or God did, by sending his son to die for us when we were enemies. The wages of sin is death, but now for anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, we receive eternal life and his righteousness which means we have an entrance we're reconciled back to the father and one of the things that happened is we heard the word of truth repentance comes by hearing and hearing the word of god and the gospel of salvation in whom also having believed here it comes folks here's why we're uh, bringing it up you and i and we were sealed 144,000 seal us sealed Boom, right here. We were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And you say, well, wow. So, so we won't find ourselves in the wrath. We don't want anybody to go into the wrath. But listen to this. Who is the guarantee? Who is the Holy Spirit of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Your sealed as a guarantee of an inheritance that's with Christ forever. How amazing is that? So why would you, why? See, listen, this isn't a put a trip on the people night. That's not this. What this is, is an unraveling of the gospel showing us what's happening for us in a future period. Uh, Uh, asking us to be uh, 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 in Christ uh, and to give our lives back to him, which is only our reasonable service, Romans 12, 1 and 2 tells us, so that we would live full throttle for Jesus Christ. That's what this is. This isn't some trippy thing to make you feel bad. This is the gospel, man. So let's do this. Let's pray. As we wind up, I think I've gone a little late here. So, don't you want to pray right now for somebody? Is there somebody you're thinking about and you're just saying to yourself, not in a pointing the finger type of way, but man, they need repentance in their life. Right? Does anybody say that? By the way, I'm starting with myself. I need to repent of some things. But there's others who just need to repent in that first step spiritual way to recognize they're a sinner and come to the Lord and be reconciled, right? Listen, this is the time. Let's do it. Let's pray for ourselves. We're going to bow our heads. Let's just be quiet for 30 seconds. Let's pray for ourselves. What's the Lord showing us? Maybe even tell somebody as you 
walk out of here, what the Lord is speaking to you about what's in your vessel that's dusty and dirty and that you want to confess to the Lord and you want to confess to one another and yet you want to walk forward in just cleanliness and a, a new start. Maybe that's something for you. But then also you're thinking of somebody in your life, aren't you? I am, that needs to believe and repent, repent and believe and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so that their sins may be blotted out. Let's pray for them too. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And Lord, thank you for this evening. And uh, Lord, you've heard these prayers. We're lifting them up to you. And we're asking and expecting, Lord, that you would do a work in the people's hearts who we're praying for. And that they would respond to your call. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. And uh, have a great week.